This episode was originally recorded as a conversation for a lecture series that I host in my role as Vice President Academic at Booth University College. The conversation was so engaging, and Malcolm and Steve were both so passionate about their love of poetry and music, I asked if I could repurpose the content for my podcast, and they both agreed. So thank you, Malcolm and Steve, for doing that. Hope you enjoy. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? Steve Bell is a musician, songwriter, storyteller, and author. And for 30 years, he's pursued a full-time vocation as a music minister, performing concerts all over the world. With his mission of, quote, refreshing Christian faith and spiritual tradition for the weary and the wary, Steve is known for as much as much for his storytelling, his social commentary, and his theological insights as for his music. Malcolm Geit is a life fellow of Girton College, Cambridge. He's a priest, a poet, and an author. His books, his latest book, Lifting the Veil, Imagination and the Kingdom of God, his previous books, Faith, Hope, and Poetry, Theology, and the Poetic Imagination, his books of poetry, Sounding the Seasons, and The Singing Bowl are wonderful examples of the kind of thing that we're going to talk about today. Today's lecture is going to be a little bit different in that it's going to be a conversation between Steve and Malcolm, and they are wonderful storytellers, and I really just want to sit back and listen to them. But if you have questions, you can add them into the Q&A box at the bottom of the screen, and I will incorporate those into the conversation. We're going to talk about art and the Christian life, and I want to start by defining art very broadly to include literature and poetry, music, the physical arts as well. And I want to, because both of these men are wonderful artists in their own right, kind of bridge the personal and the professional, uh, how, they, how they have used art to enrich their own faith and how their expression of their faith comes out in art. Um, so first of all, Steve and Malcolm, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I only wish we could be together physically. But, uh, <laughs> Someday, <laughs> I promise. Soon, Soon enough. enough. <laughs> yes, I feel like I haven't seen uh, people in, in so long. Them, yeah. <laughs> hey, Michael, just, just before we get going, just like yeah. Malcolm is actually coming to town in spring, and I should have had this date in front of me, but uh, we're, we'll be doing a concert together at the uh, the West End Cultural Center in Winnipeg. So oh, just watch for those dates. Anybody who's watching, it's absolutely. it's really fun. It's a real fun thing. You, yeah. yeah, you guys in concert is 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 a sight to behold. Um, <laughs> it just it's it's a it's a wonderful experience. Yeah. So I, I want to start with a really broad question. I guess you know whichever one of you wants to take this. When did you start to realize that there was something in art, whether it was literature or music? that spoke, that was more than just entertainment, that was something real and substantial that made you really think about the world, about faith, about your life? I'll, I could start with that uh, and answer pretty quickly for me. I, I mean, I grew up you know, doing music because I liked it. Um, not, I, I wasn't thinking of myself as an artist at all. I just, I, I could play guitar, I could sing, you know, I could piece songs together. But I wasn't thinking I'm an artist. I, I somehow that just felt I don't know. This felt like something you you don't call yourself. That's something other people call you. And um, and uh, so you know to cut a long story short, I did an album in 1994 called Burning Ember, mm-hmm. which was my third album. And I still really just saw myself as just a guy that 
sang songs. And, um, but the song, the title song, Burning Ember, I remember when I wrote it. And after I finished the song, I looked at it and I realized the song knew way more than I did. <laughs> and and that was just that was a it was a staggering moment for me looking at this thing that was sort of bigger on the inside than it was on the outside like a mythological yeah. you know house mm. yeah, and yeah. that and that I'm not the one that furnished it and made it that way and that mm. and so and that song literally has been one of my mentors for the last 30 years yeah. and when I realized that all of a sudden I started like something's going on here that I I never I never would have been able to imagine. Um, and so I started to pay attention. Um, and, and I started to rather, I stopped trying to write songs and I started trying to sort of be in a position where they, they might come for a visit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yes. And then, and I didn't really think more clearly about that other than I just got more accustomed to working that way. And then when I met Malcolm and Malcolm so wonderfully can actually articulate this process because of his work i mean as an artist himself but also he's actually done the, the, the more hard work um of sort of studying people that that have tried to articulate that like coleridge of course mm -hmm. right so that that would be my quick answer yeah 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 that's uh, i i really resonate steve with what you said about having written burning ember and then you look at it again almost as though someone else has written it and you yeah. say to yourself this song knows way more than i do yeah you know, yeah. I my experience of poetry and of being a poet is very much about coming before words to kind of serve them and hear them and learn from them. I mean, I, I sometimes say to people that the only thing that gives me the sort of the temerity that the chutzpah to go out and be a poet or be called a poet by the people is is the conviction that um that all the words I use are older and wiser than I am. Yeah. Uh, They've, they've, as it were, and they've got something to. So, I, so for me, the making of the poem is also a moment, a series of moments of discovery. I mean, of course, there's craft and craftsmanship and all of that, but something is coming back to you all the time. But to go back to your your question, Michael, um, about when did we when did I first become aware of mm -hmm. that this is this is sort of art is a thing. I mean, in a sense, there's almost no single moment. I was extremely fortunate. Um, in in my childhood, my both my, both my parents are lovely and interesting people. But my mother, in particular, who's a Scots was a Scots Scotswoman, had a tremendous fund of song and story and poetry. <laughs> Pardon me, poetry particularly. So she often she had a vast reservoir of it, and she quoted it naturally. So I was exposed to poetry from a very young age, and I always noticed it when my mother's voice changed or the lilt or the lift came and it was always exciting now i have to say my mother didn't sit me down in a corner with a big book and point at me and say this is poetry it's good for you you know you can't have playtime so it was nothing like that at all it was natural and spontaneous so mm. i mean for example my love of coleridge which has been a love all my life uh you know and eventually i wrote you know big sort of four square academic books about coleridge but that started when we used to travel back and forth from, from Africa to, to England when I was a very little boy, you know, four or five. And I always loved the exciting moment. We went every year when my father was on leave. My mother wouldn't fly, so we were on ships. And this, you know, cargo boat that took a few passengers on it would kind of come out of, you know, Lagos <laughs> or whatever. When we were clear of the land and the ship really got going and the, and the, the wake went out, my mother would look at it and she would suddenly say, 
The fair breeze blew, the white foam flew, the furrow followed free. We were the first that ever burst into that silent sea. You know, and I could see, I could see the furrow following free. And I knew that was exciting. And I said, what's that, Mum? And, and, and then she would say, ah, it is an ancient mariner. He stopped with one of three, you know, and by uh, a long grey beard and glittering eye. And, I went, and she would go be off into the poem. And it was very exciting. I mean, I was a little kid. I didn't get it all, but I got there was something magical. Or I remember I sometimes was on the same journeys, you know, my I would look at something that we'd see in those days. There were still, I mean, obviously motorboats were of were ubiquitous, but on the coasts of Africa, there were still a lot of local tradesmen who used old-fashioned sailing boats and, and schooners because it was cheaper and they didn't have enough fuel. They just, so you'd occasionally see a little sort of white sailed ship. And I'd say to my mum, look at that lovely sailing boat. I wonder where it's going. And my mum would say, look at it and sort of her arm around, she'd say, Whither, O oh splendid king, thy white sails crowding, leaning across the bosom of the urgent west, that fearest nor sea rising nor sky clouding, whither away, fair rover, and what thy quest? No, that was exactly what I'd said to her. Where's that boat going? But that, that, um, that Robert Bridges poem, the, the passerby, I mean, I didn't see it printed in a book for ages, but it took my little thing that I wanted to say, my question, and it raised it to kind of glorious and epic and romantic proportion. And, you know, I went, so I had this thing for my mother. And eventually when I went to school and saw that poems were written down and worked out, I realized that's what my mother had been giving me. But I had it without book, as it were. So I think that that went very early in me. And then later on, when I, interestingly, when I was a sort of moody teenager and trying to get as far away from everything, you know, to, and I kind of lost my faith and was trying to be a really sort of reductive, hardcore scientist, and there's nothing in this, you know, we're all just unwinding enzymes. Poetry came to the rescue again, and I had a very extraordinary experience as a teenager. I was taken to visit the house of John Keats, and I, I read The Ode to a Nightingale. Mm -hmm on that and that was just transfigurative I that blew away my reductive materialism I had a, a kind of spiritual experience and I just thought you know when you get to the moment in that poem where where he 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 hears the nightingale and he imagines Ruth standing hearing the same nightingale's song um you know sick she stood in when sick the sad heart of Ruth when sick for home I was very homesick at the time because I was in a boarding when sick for home she stood in tears amidst the alien corn and then suddenly he says he gives you the image of these magical windows opening says such as hath charmed open magic casements opening on perilous seas in fairy lands forlorn it's like at the back of this poem there's these windows that open onto mystery and something happened to me there that I just thought okay um there is something new I would didn't know the word numinous then but I'll use it now I, there's something numinous something mysterious going on in here there's a quality of of over brim of moreness mm -hmm. is only this long I memorized it very soon because I loved it so much I could write it out in you know five stanzas but I've been going back to that poem since I mean well let's you know I, I can't do the math, but I was probably 16 when I read that poem, and I'm 64 now. And I must have read that poem, you know, many times each of those intervening years. And the windows open on more and more. 
So that makes me realize there's something mysterious going on here. There's something, and when you, when I came later to write poems myself, and at first they you know, weren't very good, but occasionally you get one like Steve's Burning Ember, and you'd think, wait a minute, this is bigger on the inside than the outside, as Steve says. There's there's this moreness to it. Yes. Um, yeah, I sorry, I talked wrong, but maybe just to conclude no. that, because Steve's saying, I'll just throw in a little sonnet, you know. Great thing. There's a line about sonnets. It goes, a sonnet is a moment's monument. Literally takes a minute to read. Anyway, this one is called Hospitality. And it's about how I feel about words when I'm trying to write a poem. Mm. So it goes like this, Hospitality. I turn a certain key within its wards, unlock my doors, and set them open wide to entertain a company of words. While some come early and with eager stride, others must be enticed and coaxed a little. The shy and rare, unused to company, who'll need some time to feel at home and settle. I bid them welcome all. I make them free of all that's mine. Mm. And they are good to me. Yeah. I set them in the order they like best and listen for their wisdom. Try to learn as each unfolds the other's mystery. And though we know each word is my free guest, they sometimes leave <laughs> poem in return. Say that last, say those last couple lines again. And though we know each word is my free guest, they sometimes leave a poem in return. <laughs> yes. So it's kind of about oh, overhearing the conversation of the word. I was um I was uh, at a, a lecture once where there was a fellow that was discussing how um, a particular indigenous language, I think it was he was from Alaska, so I can't remember mm -hmm. which which um, which first nation it was. Um, but he was talking about how like it's it's kind of hard to teach in their their the, the 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 meaning of words because every word of course is conditioned by what comes after mm -hmm. and what comes yeah. before, yeah. and so that that idea and of course that works in our language as well. Mm -hmm but more so in that. And he just talked about the essential uh, poetry of, of that particular mm. language that, that it, like it's all poetry. Mm. Um, and, and, and it suddenly dawned on me that, that ours is too. We've just, we've just lost the ability to see it. And, oh yeah, and, I mean, and, all, all of our- and, and we don't care, we're not looking. Yeah, no. It came, it came out of poetry. I mean, you know, language is, is a series of metaphors and the metaphors were invented yeah. by poets, you know. Uh, just occasionally you can see it in the historical, I mean, for us, the emergence of languages before history in a sense, but occasionally you can say the direct influence, not only of poetry, but of a particular poet mm. on the way language works. It's arguable that Italian, as it is now, modern Italian, is the sort of gift of Dante to the nation sure. before right. they'd yeah. even become a nation. Yeah. Yeah. What he did by making the radical decision not to write his poem in Latin, but to write it in this emerging, almost patois, this romance language, this thing was a bit of Latin, a bit of French, but it was just the way people spoke. It was the street language of his day and he ennobled it and he gave it beauty and meaning and form and turned it into metaphors and it, it made, it, you made it. And then we get that to some extent with Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare does the same, yeah. People are, often have phrases, you know, oh, to the manner born or whatever, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, more honoured in the breach than the observers. I mean, there's just, there's just hundreds of phrases that we just fall to mm -hmm. us naturally mm -hmm. and metaphors as well, you know, that come from Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare very modestly says in the, in the sonnets about his own writing, he says, all my best is dressing old words new 
yeah. spending again what is already spent. But the, the matter, the underlying metaphor there, it clearly is language as a currency. And yeah. it is, of course, like a currency, it's a medium of exchange. But like a currency, it needs to be backed by something real. It needs to have some kind of, if you like, yeah. gold. Has to, somebody has to underwrite the checks of meaning that we pass to each other. And the fact is that there is a danger, therefore, of inflation, as it were, in languages there is in currency. And you could say that, you know, certain kinds of political discourse and advertising and Twitter speak are constantly undermining and devaluing language. And the job of poetry and art is to revalue it mm. and give it back its, 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 its depth and resonance and use it mm. well. Mm. There's something in, in, in what both of you said that really struck me, and it's that idea of putting into words, maybe new words, repurposing old words, um, experiences that we can share, that idea mm. that, that I'm going to say something in a poem that might resonate with you, Malcolm, sitting mm. in, in the UK, yeah. um, very different lives, very different backgrounds, but I can put something in that might mean something to you. And yeah. I think that when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching students, you know, first year university students, Dunn's Holy Sonnets. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and that the, the, those those really brutal questioning, what is this all about? Yeah. Words. And some of them, some of them go, oh, oh, he's putting into words something that I feel. Yeah. Like that's powerful. That's powerful. <laughs> And Dunn's words are so pungent and so, and he uses, you know, in some ways quite, you know, quite, quite, it's not recherche language. I mean, if you think about, to, to talk about this, so if you think about that sonnet, um, Batter My Heart, but, Three Persons from God. Yeah. For yeah. you as yet, listen to these, listen to the way these verbs go. For you as yet, but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend. That's the tinker just messing with the pot and he's saying, no break me you i'm not going to be right until you break me right down and yeah. build me up again completely it's yeah. you know and of course it finishes as you know i mean i mean when he says i like her and then he switches metaphor from you know he starts with a metaphor of a comparing god it's amazing to a sort of tinker tinkering around with a pot you know and, and he says no make it completely new and then he switches metaphor and has this wonderful image of us being in a siege you know, that we're besieged, you know, and, and I, I like an usurped town to another Jew. You know, I, you've got to, you've got to, it's like reason, your viceroy has been captive. You've got to come in and liberate me. I'm a city that needs liberation. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, famously and perhaps scandalously, he finishes with with the the the, the erotic imagery. You know, I shall, uh, you know, I'll never be chased unless thou ravish me. I mean, it's it's amazing language. And I think it leaps across the centuries. And I, I have had the same experience, Michael. You read that with students and their, their jaw is on the floor, particularly if you're reading it in a secular context and they understand yeah. that one, that these are the holy sonnets. Yeah, yeah. They, well, if, if you've done some of his uh, erotic poetry beforehand, yeah, they, they, yeah. <laughs> they, think, they think that Christian discourse is this yeah. thin, weak sort of milk and water highly self-censored pious discourse in a corner there they don't think it's got anything to do with the kind of blood and guts of life so when you read done they're blown away <laughs> yeah you know what uh malcolm or not malcolm um mako fujimura do you know him yeah yeah, uh, yeah. the artist the painter yeah, yeah uh so he just came out with a book uh, in the last year or two called i think it's called art and faith 
But he said yeah. this really remarkable thing that really kind of grabbed me. He says, you know, artists, it's not our job to, like when you, especially in, in a culture which is di divided and and all the sort of things going on, he says, it's not our job to um, to find common ground. It's our job is to make common ground. Mm. Yeah. And it's a stunning thing when you think about how, how um, uh, a, a poet or a songwriter or, or a visual artist can create something that people from various can come to and find themselves and share that that common space. Like I remember, you know, as I back in the days when we used to travel. Um, <laughs> I remember. Dave, remember that you could get a car and go to other lands. Wow. And, and and Dave, my manager, and I how how I used to love going into all these little tiny American um, towns, and they always have a village or a town um, square, and it's a green, it's a big large green, and in the middle of it is always a pagoda. Um, an open sort of pagoda and big enough that the local kinsman community band can do concerts on, on, you know, on Sunday nights and people picnic there, they meet people, but it's, it's the, the common ground has been created, has yeah. been made. And, and poetry does that. Music does that. Visual arts do that. Dance does that. It gives us yeah. all something to come to yeah. that's not us, but we can experience each other in it. So there's yeah. all that's going on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now it's kind of there's often an image for, for art is of a kind of uh, a house with rooms, a hospitable place kind of. Mm -hmm. I mean, Keats had that thing of the windows, you know. I mean, Shakespeare calls it calls it a, a habitation. Mm -hmm. So you're not just making some little monument to yourself and your private thoughts. I mean, Shakespeare, right. thank God, was not the victim of this awful idea of self-expression as though, you know, all you do is <laughs> take your peculiar <laughs> stuff and, you know. He's kind of makes something. I mean, the phrase, in fact, just to bring in, perhaps since we're talking quite a lot about art, just to bring in the faith dimension for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, I mean, um, Steve will have heard me say this before many times, but it, it's um, it's a kind of central thing. I was always completely entranced by Shakespeare's account of poetry in, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, a quite early, playful play. I particularly love that play because I, when I was, um, that same year that I read Keats, I was in a school play of A Midsummer Night's Dream. And we were in this boys' school, which was like very uptight. And, you know, obviously it was real drag to be a bunch of teenage boys. But, but there was a girls' school. And the year I got into the sixth form, it actually moved next door. But there was this huge high wall between the two. And we weren't like allowed to meet each other, except for the drama class. If you were doing a play, <laughs> Because in, in Midsummer Night's Dream, there's this wall, you know. Yes. This, you know, now I anyway, so I was pucked about it. That's not the story. But I, 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 um, there's a great speech about poetry in it, which goes like this. The poet's eye, in a fine frenzy rolling, doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven. And as imagination bodies forth the form of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing a local, local habitation, habitation and a name. And a name. That's just so I used to think, well, this is a fabulous description of poetry. And, you know, it's great. And I love the idea that it's so inclusive, heaven to earth, earth to heaven. I totally got that you have these experiences and feelings for which there are no words, but that the imagination bodies them forth. It literally makes a living, beautiful, living thing out of them and gives it. So I, 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 I used to read that a lot and think about poetry. But when I eventually, some years ago now, sat down to write a book called Faith, Hope and Poetry, I wanted to write about Midsummer Night's Dream, of course. Uh, 
that I was thinking in a theological frame, if you like, for the first mm -hmm. time. And I was reading this very familiar passage and thinking, what does this remind me of? Like, what is this? There's something about the repetition of heaven and earth, earth and heaven. And later there's the idea of invisible, visible, apprehend, comprehend. And this, there's something going on. And this, this central juxtaposition of two most unlikely words to put together, imagination and bodies, aren't they like in different realms? And bodies is a verb. And I was trying to get my mind around it. And I suddenly realized, wait a minute, I know where this is coming from. It's like the prologue to John's gospel. You start with this, you're up in the heavens, it's completely disembodied. You know, when you start reading that gospel, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the same was with God in the beginning. He was, a, you know, you go on for about five lines like that. You can't actually see anything. You've got these words, you know, like as a bit of you goes, this is incredibly profound. I realize this is deep philosophy, but like, yeah, <laughs> kind of passing me by. And then but you're going to pay attention, you know, and you realize there's this heavenly thing. Uh, you know, and um, it's probably all about eternity. Great, you know. But then suddenly you get to verse 14 and you get the word was made flesh. And then what does it says? And dwelt, tabernacle, tented, inhabited. In fact, in the Latin, as, as Shakespeare would have known it as well as in English, you know, when the first question of the disciples to Jesus is, Magister, ubi habitas, where's your habitation? So I suddenly thought, wait a minute, is Shakespeare riffing on this? So I checked out my Greek. I mean, Shakespeare called himself as having small Latin and less Greek. Yeah. But if you're a well-educated Elizabethan, you know, his small Latin and less Greek is probably our degree course, you know. But anyway, so right. yeah. when you say, when it says in, in, in John's prologue, you know, in Arche and Hologos, when it talks about everything was made, the Greek verb for make is poiein. It's the word yeah. we get poet from. Poetry, yeah. It's it's like it's like in him thing in him all things were poeted, in him all things were poetried, and nothing was poetried without him. Would be another way of putting it. And I suddenly thought, is Shakespeare saying the greatest bodying forth, imagination bodies forth the form and finds a habitation in them. The prime one is that the the whole glorious heaven of God. Verbum carried made flesh. It's made flesh. And what it's given, it's given a name, Jesus. And, and maybe because we're made in the image of God, every time we as artists in any way, even if we're secular artists, manage a little bit of bodying forth, manage to make that habitation, that common ground and bring people in. We do so because that's been made possible. Mm -hmm. by a God who in his very nature from eternity is in the business of bodying forth and has mm -hmm. made us like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. there. I make the case of that in various academic books, but I think Shakespeare, and of course he's, Shakespeare's having fun with it because Midsummer Night's Dream is set in, in Athens, BC, yeah. although curiously enough, just around back of the Parthenon, there's a bit of <laughs> English woodland. With, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, so you can do what he likes, but... Yeah. He, I think he anticipates the glory of the incarnation mm -hmm. and he puts it in the mouth of this almost mythical character, Theseus. And I think he's rooting all our artistry in God's artistry. Mm -hmm. And if it's true that all of us, whatever our faith, obviously I'm, in, I'm a Christian and I think Christianity is actually the case. So I want people to be Christian. But Christianity teaches, of course, that every person is made in the image of God and that he loves all without distinction. So... Um, I would say that whenever any artist anywhere has a little bit of success in bodying forth, and it's interesting when they do, they always say what Steve said, 
They say, well, yeah. that's bigger than I am. That's wiser than I am. Every artist experiences yeah. their art at its best as gift. That's why you have the language of the muse. And I think Christian theology gives us an underpinning for and an account of why that gift language is true. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's really profound. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I got no. no. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to invite you both to talk about your process as artists um, and about how that's developed over the years um, as you've written songs or written poetry or now writing books. How has your process evolved? Hmm. Mine has just become. It hasn't changed that much, other than that I've I've sort of accepted what I did naturally in the earlier days, and I and I consider it like I've always loved to read. Yeah. I've always loved to read, and I always sort of felt like I'll read for a while and then I'll go to work, you know, um, I, or noodling on a guitar, just to sit there and just sort of noodle and noodle and noodle, and then I'll just kind of mess around, but then I'll do something serious or or whatever. I just I think in my in my in my last 10, 15 years, I've just started saying when I get up in the morning. And I pull one of Malcolm's books and I read through a poem and then I kind of follow that rabbit trail to where it comes from or what it's alluding to. And I do a few of these things. There's a stirring interiorly that's happening. Yeah. And I can't necessarily, I can't articulate it that well, but three weeks later, a song will come out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, and, and so out of I nowhere, <laughs> out of nowhere, the song comes. And, and the other thing is, this happens to me a lot. Um, and that is, I'll write a song that I think is actually fairly clever. Like, I think it's got a good idea, good premise. I think I've done it well. Mm-hmm. I think I've maybe articulated something in a new way. And then, uh, you know, five years later, I'll pick up a book I'd read 20 years earlier. And there it is, yeah. you know. And so, so to just, I think what I've just done is I've just become more aware of of just the i've become more deliberate and yeah. paid attention um and so uh, and and I, maybe that's even getting older though too but like you also start to learn that you know even when i'm distracted when my granddaughter is over and we're just running around and i'm exhausted and i kind of got this thing in the back of my head that i really got to get back to work mm-hmm. this is this is all part of it you start to learn yeah. that there yeah. is really no waking or sleeping moment mm-hmm. that isn't magical that isn't enchanted, um, and and that 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 can't, if you're mindful, um, uh, end up being part of this this work of bodying forth something that's you know that that we wouldn't. Uh, so for me, it's just I hate I hate using the word mindfulness because it's kind of too um, hip right now or whatever. And but <laughs> but somehow just pay, learning to attend. Yeah, so so uh Simone Vey, right? You know, she talks about the word atons, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like everything is attend, attend, attend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 when we're in such a, a insanely distracted society, um, and we're so are we've been taught to be distractible. Yes. Um yeah. you know what I mean? That we've been trained to be distractible. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's I mean. Of course, there's, you know, working on your craft and practicing your guitar scales and listening to other people's songs and analyzing mm-hmm. and learning. All that is part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, I'm, 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 it's more about a- attention. Attention. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would call that, and I'm also learning to call that prayer. Yeah. I yeah. Think that's, I think that's yeah. profound. Yeah. 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 I, I think what you've said, Steve, about that, in fact, the thing that you might have even thought was new is really a response. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a response which is coming out like a fruit. 
from the mm-hmm. seed of attention that you paid years ago yeah. to something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been growing in the back of your mind. And you go, I think that's really true and really important. I'm mean, just to speak of the art. I'm sure this would be true of music as well. That you're, you can't play until you've learned how to listen. Yeah. So you can't actually write until you've learned how to read. I remember seeing an interview with Seamus Heaney once about, about the American thing, you know, of these sort of MFA programs where, you know, you do your thing. And I'm sure there's a good place for them. But Heaney, when he was asked to teach one at Harvard or somewhere, you know, so he was a bit wary at first because he was afraid that this was supposed to be a how to do it course for poets mm-hmm. who wanted to write poetry without reading it, mm-hmm. without really absorbing it. And apparently his class were a bit cheesed off when he told them to go away and read great classics before they even showed up on the door, you know. But of course, I wanted to be a poet because I was completely transfixed by Keats, you know, as a teenager. And I spent a lot, I mean, I just loved, I didn't even know English could sound like that, you know. Thou light-winged dryad of the trees, some melodious plot of peach and green and shadows numberless, singest of summer in a full-throated ease. I thought, like, what is that? How did that even happen? And, you know, I wanted that. And I spent an embarrassing amount of my late teenage and early 20 years. Essentially, I was like the kid playing air guitar at the back of an Eric Clapton concert, you know. I was sort of playing air guitar to Keats. And I would yeah. never show anybody or publish the incredibly slushy, sub-Keatsian, pastiche stuff I wrote. Right? Malcolm's Juvenalia. Yeah. So, yeah. But I realise now, to, 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 to use some language that musicians use, that I was woodshedding or learning my chops or whatever it was, yeah. that somehow out of that, and then you fall in love with another poet, you go Hopkins. And at first you're derivative, but actually when you've gone from Keats to Hopkins, you know, to Philip Larkin, to Heaney, you know, and then you've gone back to John Donne and then finally you're mature enough for George Herbert. It all comes gradually out of that, your voice emerges, but it's never a lone voice. You you come out of this kind of choral antiphon. So when I sometimes go and give talks to kids in schools about writing and writing poetry and they always say it's so hard to face the blank page. How do you get over the fear of the blank page? And I go like, there is no blank page. <laughs> Even if you are in solitude, there's no solitude. As soon as you use yeah. a word, you've borrowed something from somebody. Mm-hmm. The language itself is a gift. You have yeah. a whole crowd of people all around you, urging you on. All the great writers of English are just at your shoulder saying, try this. Have you seen this? See what I did there? You know, and, you know, it's like you've been in a room listening to a fantastic conversation, and now finally you've been invited to join in. Mm -hmm. And the better you've listened, the more you'll have something to say. So, you know, that's that's it's a a community. And it's, I liked... Steve's thing about the common ground. I mean, we already inhabit that kind of common ground that's been built. So I'm now there was a period, you know, in immediately <laughs> at the kind of height of the and I love the romantic poets, obviously, but at the height of the romantic movement and just beyond it, there was a bit of a cult of the idea of the artist as the lone genius. Yes. And it was cultivated mm-hmm. by some artists almost um, willfully because it suited them. So, you know, the Byronic genius, I mean, Byron, you know, constantly being painted with his best profile, or, you know, Shelley is this kind of lone, kind of moonstruck flower child floating off. But actually, when you look at their poetry, they're totally engaged with the whole poetic oh, community. yes, yeah. You know? I mean, and Shelley's reading Dante all the time. I mean, yeah. it's, 
Byron's so, retelling Don Juan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. so, so, um, but when we acknowledge that, it's way better because the burden of lonely genius is a burden that not only crushes the writer when they're trying to write, but it also messes with their ego and turns them into a really unpleasant person, you know. So uh, we've got to start by acknowledging that everything is gift received in community and passed on through and for community. But that's yeah. not a problem for a Christian writer, obviously, because the Holy the Holy Trinity is community. The, yeah, the core yeah. of we, we can't even use the word person of ourselves without recognizing that you know the person of the yeah. Son is the gift of the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit is generated. You know, the Father is the Father because He eternally begets the Son. They each depend on each other, and that's the image we're made in. But of course, you know, none of us would have come into existence without the Congress in one form or another of two other human beings, and we literally indwelt our mothers. Mm-hmm. And that's a physical sign of the other kinds of indwelling that we have with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My sort of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just oh. gonna say my my Keats is um is Coburn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, I mean my 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 I wasn't enamored by people that far back, but it was it was going to a a, a Bruce Coburn concert and mm. and hearing him the way his music um was angular. It wasn't quite as pretty as I grew up in with music. Um, mm-hmm. His lyrics uh, in, in, like forced you to work. I, I didn't understand. Like, why don't you just tell me what you want to say? Like, I, I don't understand this. And and I found it frustrating. But I, but at the same time, there was just something so compelling that that and and I and I just I started to kind of look at myself and kind of going, I don't like what I do anymore. What what is that guy smoking? Because I <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah. And so. Um, and so, and then I dove into all things Colburn and then, you know, started kind of branching off from there and tried so hard to write Colburn songs, tried to write angry justice songs. I tried to, I, I just, I, I wrote a bunch of Colburn songs and I, 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 I did a lot of work on his guitar um, techniques mm-hmm. and, and really did absorb them. And then I was doing a concert uh, in Chicago at uh, Jesus People USA. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, in the building there, and Glenn, the famous Glenn Kaiser of Resband was doing right. sound for me, like he and I was just I was just beside myself. So I cannot believe that Glenn Kaiser is my sound man, and I was nervous. <laughs> and I did my concert, and I did fine. And afterward, he came up, and I was you know, was, he, and it was really kind of funny. And he and he, and he did because he was older than I was, and he kind of knew what was going on. And he said, "You probably want to know what I think." And I said, yeah, I kind of, and, uh, and he, and he, so he says some very complimentary things. And then he said, so by the way, how much do you love Bruce Coburn? <laughs> you know? And I said, oh, quite a bit. Is it that obvious? He goes, yeah. yeah. You know? And he said, and I, and he said, I really appreciate it. He said, I just, he said, I, I, I said, it would be nice or it would be sad if we never hear Steve. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was something in that, that, and, and he was, he wasn't saying abandon, you know, all things mm-hmm. Coburn or, you know, but he was saying at a certain point, and that was a kind of a kickoff place for me to start to say that that I I I do want to have my own voice. I um and I and I I, I discovered this prayer by Father John Acronstead, Lord help me not be wounded by the beauty of another. Oh. Um, and yeah, it's a great line. A good and, and, <laughs> and that prayer. was and that was yeah, it's a good prayer. And and that was sort of the beginning of me sort of you know in a sense step out from under the shadow of my my mentors and my heroes in a very respectful and grateful way mm-hmm. right and then then try to find out what is it that steve does and 
I've, I've never loved it. Like I always wish I was someone else, but I have, <laughs> but I have learned to, to offer what, what is mine to offer. Yeah. Um, and, and then back away from, from it. Like, yeah. you know, so that's, yeah. Yeah. That's right. But what is yours to offer is in fact, of the gift it's you grown uniquely in you, but it's the gift yeah. of all the, all yeah. Yeah. yes, yeah. totally. The yeah. community. Yeah, just, it's the community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's, totally. a, there's, I probably can't get it immediately off my shelves at the time, but there's a very fine, or maybe I can, there's a fine <laughs> poem by Michal O'Shiel, the great Irish contemporary poet, uh, called uh, Courtesy, which talks yeah. about, about our being who we are as the gift of these, and that we then pass the gift on, but it's a unique gift. So mm. uh, yeah, should I just read you a bit of Michal O'Shiel? I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he won't mind. So this is the first part of a poem called Courtesy. I bring my basketful to serve our table. Because that, that transition is brilliant. Our table, right? So here it goes. I bring my basketful to serve our table. Everything mine is yours. Everything without reserve. Poems to which I still revert. Gauguin, Matisse, Renoir's pear-shaped women, music I've heard. Blessed Schubert, ecstasies I'll never understand. Mandelstam's instance of splendor, the world a plain apple in his hand. Lost faces, those whose heirs I was. My printout of their genes, seed and breed of forebears. Whatever I've become, courtesy of lovers, friends or friends of friends, all those traces in me, the living and the dead, my sum of being, a host, open yeah. and movable. Here I am. God. Oh, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, uh, thanks for reminding. I forgot about that. That's that's yeah. such a big And the the, the, the the turn all that he gathers into the word host, of course, is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. that's that's poetic language at its very best. But also, isn't it wonderful that if you're going to be open, then you're woundable. You know, that's yes. what yeah. Yeah. That, that vulnerability. And it's so good because it it starts and finishes with being who you are, with the genuine. Mm-hmm uniqueness of the individual i bring my basket and it finishes here i am but in between those two eyes there's this opening out and including it's just wonderful yeah it's actually it's a beautiful transition to what i wanted to ask about next we are in a time of pandemic we're in a time of isolation a time that has been very dark for many people um just feeling disconnected Uh, i know both of you have done really interesting things with your art uh, to connect with people through the pandemic um, involving, you know, house concerts and spells in the library and wonderful (laughs) things like that. I was wondering if you could say something about the way art has managed to bring people together for you at this time. Yeah, that's a, it's a good thing. I mean, obviously there's there's a um, there's a poem I think by by Yeats called the fascination with what's difficult, and um, good art likes difficulty. When you're stuck with a song or a poem, if you keep going, then something really good is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we were all thrown this kind of curveball, as I think the phrase you would use. Uh, you know, we were we were, or as we would say, a batting on a sticky wicket. But you know, the fact. <laughs> um, 
that, 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 that we, none of us expected this. And those of us, particularly like me and Steve, who are essentially in the arts of engaging with people, traveling, performing, you know, there must have been, well, certainly was for me feeling, oh my goodness, it's all pulled up. But then you learn the new technology, you discover the new ways, mm-hmm. actually things open up. So, I mean, this cell in the library is an instance. I was still chaplain of my college at that point, but I couldn't go in. And um, one of the things I love most about being chaplain was just people around. I always kept my door a little bit open mm-hmm. and uh, people would just like knock on the door and see I was in and come in. And they'd often say, oh, I don't know if I should really be here. You know, I, I know you're the chaplain. I'm not religious, but. And then of course, all this <laughs> stuff would come out. <laughs> I just loved it when students came in and I would randomly talk about things and then just exactly what I just did for you now. I go, oh, there's a poem, you know. So I just felt so, we'd literally been told we could only go out for one hour a day. And it was literally the day that lockdown started. I thought, I'm stuck. So I gave myself a crash course in YouTube and I asked my wife to be the proxy student and walk in. And I just decided I'm going to do it. I'm just going to carry on as I was, but I'll do it on YouTube. And I thought, you know, five or six of my students were, might discover it. And I don't know how to do all the, this is how you should look for it or anything like that. I've just put it out. But it's like nearly 7,000 people subscribing to it now from all over the world who just yeah. want to drop round. It's brilliant. Glass with me. And, and I, that wasn't hard to learn, but it's given me an opportunity to do what I do in a new way. And it's a bit like a sonnet. I accept the discipline that I'm only going to be 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife won't hold the camera for longer than that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> They're heavy. <laughs> yeah. and, and so it happened. Uh, and I think, you know, but, but Steve's done much more. I mean, Steve's got a really professional setup. He's done these amazing house concerts and, yeah. and online. Can you talk about that, Steve? Um, yeah. You and I, have, we've, you've managed to sort of beam me in once or twice, haven't you? Which is quite yeah. nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, okay. I'll, now, before I say anything else, I'll have to say I don't like this. Like, I don't like, I don't like emoting to a camera. I don't, I don't like anything about it. We were yeah. supposed to be in person. At least Steve and I were yeah. supposed to be in person today, yeah. and yeah. can't be. So, yeah, yeah. So it just, it just like so. But having said that, there's something been wonderful about of you know, kind of get 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 through your boohoo, mm-hmm. and then get back to work and mm-hmm. and what's in your hand, what's available. We just happened to, and this is just something that, I mean, we couldn't have have um, uh, anticipated, but literally a month and a half before COVID hit, before any of us thought it was a serious thing. Like we all thought, you know, they'll figure this out before it lands in our in our territory, right? So, <laughs> but we hired a new guy. We, we lost a really great administrator in the office. And my, my manager said, we, we need someone more you know, in, in in like to help us with sort of doing visual arts and, and online stuff. And I'm going, no, 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 we need it. We need an administrator because I, I need that kind of organization. But my, my manager hired this guy, Jay, and he was he came to help us do some concerts or to book concerts and plan them. But we also asked him to do some of our social media stuff. Mm-hmm. He had a bit of a thing. So COVID hits. Dave and I look at each other. This is what was it? March? I think yeah. March 11th yeah. is when we yeah. came home. Like everybody went home March 11th. Yeah. And um, I was in Calgary. We realized, oh, this is serious. We got to go home, canceled a bunch of stuff, went home. And I went into Jay's office um, that Monday and I said, any chance we could do a online concert? Because I think people are pretty, pretty frightened. Mm-hmm. And let's just do something. And so he went online, this guy, and he figured out that you could link, you know, four or five iPhones together and have a multi-camera shoot. And you could, and he downloaded a, a, a $20 <laughs> app on an iPad yep. and he's 
And he says, okay, we're going to do this thing. He set it all up. He says, you just do your thing. And he's got all these cameras and he's literally switching like a, like a multi-camera shoot uh, that Friday. Now it was awful. Like, like we had all kinds of problems and, and I was stressed and like, I would, I, unfortunately it's been watched by way too many people. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone had some grace at the beginning. <laughs> There's a lot of grace. Yeah. But something did you some like for me, like all of a sudden I realized, oh, like we can do interesting things visually. And and yeah. and as much as I, I feel it's not as good as, as a ministry thing or whatever, you know, but there is something fun about there's a whole new world of things you can put together in a different way. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like visual, like it's it's language. It's like the words that like yeah. you, know, you can take the se- same 10 words and, and, and make 30 sentences, depending how you. And when you're yeah. talking about cameras and and lighting and and all that, and and about after about six months of getting better and better at it, and then starting to invest money in it, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 calling in experts, and how do we make this? And then we created a whole TV studio, and but but all of a sudden I said, oh, this is a. It struck me that this is a new art form that yeah. we're learning, and I don't think it's anything I'm going to be remembered for long after I'm gone. But I do see that the 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 um, the effort. Of of sort of of setting a new course and taking all of your skills with you into this new environment, and to some degree having the humility to be bad at it because you kind of have to be. Yeah, totally. Uh, and that's what sucks because I'm I'm at the stage where I'm I'm 60 years old. I'm actually good at what I do, and suddenly I had to be an 18 year old in terms of skill level again. Except for having an audience. At least when I was 18, nobody was listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But now, so now, if you had been an 18 year old, you'd have totally understood it all immediately. You know? Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but of course. Anyways, it's, it's, so there has been something I, I, I don't love it, but I, I, I do admit that it's it's deepened my appreciation of visual arts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and how we'll continue with this um, after after if we ever, if we ever get normal back. Yeah. 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 So, yeah well, and so, oftentimes the limitations are the things that create. Yeah. The yeah, well, that's, to be that's, totally that's, artistic. I mean, that's the whole kind of my whole gig with the sonnet is really discovering that's the limitations and yeah, the, yeah. yeah. I think, but you know what I noticed now, just just quickly, like, but but for me, like, like never mind what I'm doing with it, but just having to learn this, man, I watch films now and I look for lighting. <laughs> yes, like everyone's I, become I, a I, film I, scholar. I, I, I really I, appreciate I'm this thing and, I, and I'm, I'm watching every film now, and I'm kind of going, "That's brilliant! How yeah. do they get that? camera like movement, that, things that, like that? Oh, yeah, all that, and 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 the speed of cuts, um, mm-hmm. and all that. And so it's given me, um, in a sense, that Malcolm has given me a, 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 a sort of he, he's helped me get into poetry. He's given me sort of the language and stuff. This has actually helped me get into and learn some of the language of the film arts, and I'm really enjoying film. Well, I know, a, I know a really good, I know a really good film professor. You could take some courses from. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I tell you, obviously, we all had to get our minds around Zoom, and for the first lockdown, <laughs> I was still being chaplain, still working at college, you know, but not able to go in, and we were doing quite a lot of this, and I was also using it to see my friends, and uh, like Steve, I was immensely frustrated by it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't like flat screens. I I mean, one of my, one of the Wendell Berry poems, How to Be a Poet, that I have pinned up in my heart, has, it says, live a three-dimension life. Stay away (laughs) from screens. 
stay away from anything that obscures the place that it's in. And, you know, there are no unsacred places, only sacred places and desecrated places, you know. And so so I, I, I had an instinct revulsion against it. And yet it became the thing I needed. So I just want to make sure. So quite early on, I wrote this set of poems called Quarantine Quatrains, Quatrain, mm. which are based on the form of the Ruby out of Emma And I wrote one about Zoom. And um, <laughs> yeah. working with this fantastic English artist, Roger Wagner, is a really fine, you know, one of the one of the finest sort of religious or spiritual artists in, in England at the moment. And he did an amazing thing with the Zoom screen. So I'll read you the poem. It's quite short. And I'll just it'll probably ring a few bells and then I'll show you the illustration he did. And what he did right. was genius. So, OK, so this goes like this. Some days I am diverted by a call the soft computer chime that summons all to show a face to faces that we meet, mirages, empty mirrors on the wall. Alas, that all the friends we ever knew, whose lives were fragrant and whose touch was true, can only meet us on some little screen, then zoom away with scarcely an adieu. We share with them the little that we know, these galleries of ghosts set in a row. They flicker on the screen of life a while, but some have left the meeting long ago. We used to stroll together on the green, who now divide the squares upon the screen. The faces of our friends so far apart tease us with tenderness that might have been. Someday we'll break the bread, we'll pour the wine, We'll meet and kiss and feast beneath the vine. Till then, we'll sweeten solitude with verse and yearn through pain and watch each day decline. So that's me doing this thing. Oh. Then, I want to see then the look at what he did, okay? Oh. He has turned oh. Zoom screen into an iconostasis. Oh. The images of our friends. And you know how sometimes people don't, they turn the camera off? And mm -hmm. you just have their name. Yeah. If you look very closely, the there's two ones the two the there, it says there's an alpha and an omega. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. I'm mindful of time and, and we're, we're nearing the end of the hour. So I'd like to, I think that's a perfect place to end with the hope of, of meeting again, of the hope Indeed, of connecting yeah. again. Mm -hmm. um, Malcolm, when you are in Winnipeg, absolutely. Um, it's May. To connect. <laughs> it's me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, May would love to connect. Uh, I'll promote it on my social media and share it with booths as well. But I want to thank you so much for giving me of your time today, giving us of your time today. And thank you for sharing your art with us. And, and just, it was wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me on Geek4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. <laughs>